Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Why Follow Jesus, with a message entitled, Why Jesus Will Always Be Offensive. So let's turn in our Bibles to John 6, 60 to 65, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. We live in interesting times. I wonder if there's ever been a time in the history of the world that has even been remotely like our time. Take the world's population as one example. It took from the creation to the year 1860 to reach one billion people. We now add an additional billion people to the Earth's population every decade. Or take the startling explosion of inventions and technology. The last century alone has seen Such inventions as, well, the hydrogen bomb, the transistor radio, oral contraceptives, the microchip, the personal computer, fiber optics, the artificial heart, cell phone, which serves as a powerful personal computer, the internet, artificial intelligence, the mapping of the human genetic code, the self-driving car, for heaven's sakes. The pace of change is staggering. Who Who can keep up? Or think of the fact that our world has recently seen the greatest exodus in human history as people all over the world are moving from farms and villages to mega cities, cities of a size which would have been thought inconceivable in times past. And they're moving anywhere on the earth. We can speak of globalization, pluralism. One thing is clear. Our world is very different from previous generations. It also seems to me that this is true for the Christian faith. You know, since the mid-A.D. 300s, the center of the Christian faith has been in Europe. And then much later, it moved to the Americas through European expansion. But no more. The great cathedrals of Europe now stand almost empty, while in most unlikely places on the earth, the faith is surging ahead. Never has there been such a day when the Christian faith has advanced so forcefully. Christianity today is truly global, and yet never have so many people abandoned the Christian faith as today. Lands that once thought of themselves as Christian are drafting laws and legislation which attempt to erase every last memory of the Christian faith. What's going on? What's happening? What's happening is that Christendom is dying, and true Christianity remains a powerful and a potent force. You know, by Christendom, I mean the idea of Christian nations protected by the power of the sword and by the force of law. That concept is dying. What's rising is the kingdom of the heavens, the the faith established by our Lord Jesus. It's rising today to meet the greatest challenge the earth has ever faced. True Christianity is both the great hope of the human race and the most offensive, scandalous message ever heard by human ears. It is that today. But in fact, nothing has changed. True Christianity was offensive from the very moment of its conception. Jesus himself was either worshipped or he was hated and persecuted. The same was true for the apostles. People either repented or they attempted to run them out of town. So we're coming to the end of our study of John 6. And today, I'm reading John 6, 60 to 65. When many of his disciples heard of it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. 
But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now, we've been studying why it is that many in Jesus' day abandoned him and no longer followed him. And and from that, we can see why it is that many do the same today. So let's go back to verse 60. The people say this is a hard teaching. Jesus has challenged the people. He's told them that they are seeking perishable things rather than eternal things. And he told them that unless they eat his flesh and drink his blood, they will not have eternal life. Now, from that, let's look at least four reasons why Jesus will always be offensive. And all of the four reasons are found in John 6. And what happened in this chapter leads to the kind of response Jesus is experiencing. A series of problems have arisen. Earlier on in this chapter, the crowd had wanted to make him king by force, but he hid from them. Then later, Jesus confronts the crowd and tells them that that he knows their motives. They're following him because they ate the loaves of bread he provided, and as far as he was concerned, that was an insufficient reason for following him. And so the first reason why Jesus is offensive is because he sees eternal life as more valuable than their political and economic reasons for following him. Jesus thought that eternal life is the most precious commodity that any human being can possess, and it demands all our time and energy. He saw it infinitely more valuable than being their king or providing them with bread. But someone would have responded, well, wait a minute. You know how corrupt the Romans are. In answer, Jesus might have responded, yeah, I do. In fact, the Romans were extremely cruel, and they nailed any detractors to a cross, and it was a horrible instrument of sadism and cruelty. The Romans made a sport out of watching human beings die in an arena. The Romans had a love for slavery. The Romans made a practice of exposing unwanted children. The Romans had a hatred of Judaism. The Roman nobility practiced abortion. Everywhere, there was a corruption of morality, including drunkenness, sacred temple prostitution, homosexuality, pornography. I mean, they had it all. And you know what Jesus did about that? Well, it doesn't seem like he did much. He refused to be the king to overthrow them, even though he had the power to do it. He insisted that his kingdom was not of this world. He went right on preaching the necessity of faith in him and of eternal life, the kind of life that was so filled you with eternity that you would never die, while in the world, its corruptions of the flesh show that it was dying already. Listen, that's an offense today. There are many people, even Christian people, that are asking that the church do more about politics. Well, to be sure, we need to be informed, and I'm certainly not against Christians acting as informed citizens, applying wisdom to our political problems and so forth. And I'm also pleased when a Christian enters into politics. We should seek to be salt and light everywhere. But I am greatly concerned that the church must never be a political instrument, and it must never be sidetracked. You know, some time ago, I heard of an influential Christian politician give a lecture to students at a Christian seminary, and he said that when the church begins to act like a lobby group, the politicians begin to treat us like a lobby group, and they give all their energy to shaping the kind of lobby that we're doing. He said, when we assume that we're building a pipeline into the government, don't be surprised when you find that the government has built a pipeline right back into you, and they are better at it than you are. 
But the Church of Jesus Christ must never be a lobby group. We believe that eternal life, not the Constitution in our land, but eternal life is our focus, and we must not be subverted. We must preach Jesus, not our view of politics. We will preach Jesus and heal the sick and minister to the poor and see individuals one to faith in Jesus and become apprentices of Jesus in the school of life. That's our mandate. It's the hope of the world. I know that there are people that find that offensive. We want Christendom. We want a Christian country with Christian laws, but, but real Christianity was birthed not by challenging laws or promoting a new politic. It was winning people out of a pagan world and a pagan country to faith in Jesus. We believe that this is the message and the mandate of Jesus, and this will be offensive because some want a political messiah. Now, the second reason that Jesus will remain controversial is because he makes absolute demands over our lives, and he demands that we submit to his authority. Go back to verse 41, and there we found that the crowd was grumbling about him because he said that he was the bread of God that came down from heaven. The bread of God. That's his authority. He came down from heaven. At the very heart of the Christian message are the words of Jesus, and they're recorded in Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's why Jesus is offensive. We might say, I want Jesus, but I demand the right to hold out on certain areas of my life, and that won't do. I recently heard an older Christian counseling a younger Christian. She said, you can be anything you want to be. Listen, just not true. It's a lie. You might say, you know, I want to be the president of the U.S., but you probably won't be that. You might say, I want to travel to Mars. I highly doubt it. I'm going to live to be a thousand years old. And furthermore, if you're going to follow Jesus, he will demand that you become his servant and that you will do what he directs. Slaves don't become what they want to be. They become what their master wants of them. They will eventually be trained to say, I can do nothing except in obedience to my Lord. The Gospel of John challenges a new generation to re-examine what it means to live in genuine faith, to live based on the truths Jesus taught. Dr. Neufeld begins Volume 2 of his study on the Gospel of John called, Why Follow Jesus? It calls us to examine our hearts and to ask, why should I follow Jesus? That question drives this ministry, a question that demands an answer. This month, search out that question for yourself as you listen. But also, we invite you to have a copy of Why Follow Jesus on CD for free. And as an added bonus, request a copy in print of the Gospel of John for yourself or to pass on to someone asking questions about Jesus. So call today and request Why Follow Jesus, and as an added bonus, receive a copy of the Gospel of John, all for free by simply calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Now let's look at the third reason why people so quickly abandoned Jesus. In John 6:33, Jesus said, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So why is Jesus offensive? Listen, he's offensive because he claims the highest and most exalted place in the world. I hope you won't miss what he said. 
He did not say that he was a slice of bread come down from heaven, but that he is the bread from heaven. He's the only bread of life. If you don't eat of him, you can't go to heaven. He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. No other religious teacher or philosopher or world leader can be compared to him. Jesus is the only one who came from heaven. He's the only one who commanded nature and it obeyed his voice. He's the only one who healed lepers and gave sight to the blind and drove out demons at a word, raised the dead to life, but he did so much more. He satisfied the anger of God through his sinless sacrifice on his cross, and then he defeated death and left behind an empty tomb and is now seated at the right hand of God. His tomb alone is empty, for he lives on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. All other religious teachers in history are infinitely inferior to Jesus, for Jesus is Lord. His name is above every name. Jesus insisted on this title. We are not to think of him merely as the founder of our religion. Rather, we think of him as the creator of our universe. He is the beginning and the final cause for the existence of all things. And at the end of time, he is the one before whom every human being must stand and give an account. Well, now, how am I doing so far? I've either offended you or I've delighted you. And that's how Jesus intended it. Why do you think they nailed him to the cross? But here now is the fourth reason for his offense. In verse 54, he said, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Jesus had said that his saving work on the cross is the only hope for eternal life. There is no other pathway to forgiveness of sins. It is the cross of Jesus that is the greatest offense. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Well, those are the four reasons for offense and what it is that led to verses 60-61. to 61. The passage said that many of the disciples were saying, this is a hard saying, who can listen to these words? And then it says the disciples were grumbling. Now, it's important here to make a distinction between this group, whom John calls the disciples, and then the twelve. You see, according to John 2, there's believing and then there's genuine believing. And now, according to John 6, there are disciples, but they're really not genuine disciples. And of all of these four reasons to see Jesus as offensive, please hear me, nothing is more offensive than reason number four. Jesus has said that unless you drink his blood and eat his flesh, you do not have eternal life. He means that unless you put your trust and faith in his atoning death on the cross, no eternal life is offered. There are at least three reasons why the cross will always be the ultimate offense. Verse 62 records Jesus as saying, what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, verse 62 has been interpreted in a number of ways. I mean, one possible interpretation is if people were to see Jesus ascend to heaven, well, then that would take away their offense because they'd see who he truly was. I don't think that's right. Another interpretation, which is the exact opposite, is that seeing Jesus ascend will make him even more offensive. But we have to ask ourselves this question. I mean, what did Jesus mean by saying, if you see the Son of Man ascending? So here I want to take you all the way back to John chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. There Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven 
except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this lifting up means to ascend. Jesus always taught that the way he ascended or was lifted up was that he would ascend on the cross. In effect, what I think that Jesus is saying in verse 62 is, what if you see my way of ascending into glory? Will that further offend you? He meant, what if you see that the glory that you're looking for will be fulfilled in my cross? What then? How will you respond to that? To the Jews and the Gentiles, the idea that the Son of God would go to the cross was outrageous. It was blasphemous. It was an obscenity. It was a stumbling block. It was foolishness, and it was lunacy of the highest order. Yet Jesus insisted that the pathway to glory lay through his cross. And it is the cross that is the greatest offense to the human race. It's the reason why the world will never be at peace with Jesus. So why? Let me give you the three reasons. First, the power of God came to us in humility and in suffering. I think that's what Jesus meant in verse 62. He was glorified on the cross. The phrase, to where he was before, means that he would not go back to the Father without the cross. And that's the point for us as well. The great outpouring of God does not come in defeating our enemies, winning political and military victories, but it comes in seeing Jesus suffer and die for his enemies so that they might be saved. Scandal of the cross is that God came to us clothed in human flesh, suffered and died for a sinful human race, and we expected him to come and smash sinners into little bits. But Jesus loved sinners. Jesus suffered for unworthy sinners. That will always be scandalous. We want Jesus to destroy sinners, not suffer and die for them. The cross is God's instrument of love. Now, secondly, in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, there's the second scandal of the cross. Jesus believes that human power and wisdom count for nothing. You have nothing to offer God. All you can do is come to him begging for mercy. God doesn't need you. He isn't impressed by you. He will not applaud when you do something great. You must come to him relying on his wisdom, on his spirit, his words. Just receive life. The cross is spiritual wisdom. I've come to understand that all wisdom depends on your vantage point. So imagine for a moment, you're on a board a plane and you crash in the water and you survive. and You're left treading water and deciding which way to swim to shore. I have a friend to whom that's exactly what happened. You're barely keeping your head above water and you decide, which direction shall I swim in? Are you swimming in the wrong direction? Well, you can't tell, not from your vantage point of having your eyes six inches above the water. If only you could get back into the plane for just one more time and have a look. But you can't. And that's an illustration of human wisdom. Christ's wisdom comes out of heaven. Ours is from the vantage point of earth. If you want life, you can't rely on yourself. You might say, well, I'm going to do it my way. Well, fine. You're going to drown. You're going to die in your sins. Jesus is the man out of heaven. And he knows that your only hope for life is in his cross. You're hopeless. You need grace. You need forgiveness. You simply have to trust him to satisfy God's anger and to get mercy. This is wonderfully liberating. Or it's a huge blow to your ego. Listen to what Jesus' words actually mean. Your efforts count for nothing. 
But my words count for everything. So let me add the third reason why the cross is an offense. The cross will always be an offense because it tells us we can only get to God by depending on his power. See, look again at verses 64 and 65. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. You know, the fact is that our salvation is of grace. It is a great grace even to believe. It is grace to repent. It is grace to submit. It is grace to be forgiven. It is grace to pray. It's grace to seek God. It's all grace. It's all God's power. It's none of your own. That, I think, in a nutshell, is why the cross is so offensive. That's why so many empty cathedrals in so many parts of the world. They wanted to make Jesus into a political king. And then, after they did, they rejected what they found. That's why so many others are crowding into the kingdom today. They don't want a political king. They want a personal savior. And God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's both the scandal of the world and the hope of the world. The scandal is that the cross breaks your pride. The hope is that anyone can come merely by pleading for mercy. So why stay with Jesus? Let me make it plain. People are coming to Christ all the time. We also hear of people leaving all the time. I don't mean they've moved to a different church. They're leaving Christ. How about you? Why have you come to him? What do you want of him? John, let me ask you, I think, a little bit of a difficult question, but would it be true to say that the church really isn't true to the gospel if if there's not messages that are offensive to those that would listen? Yes, Ben, absolutely. Now, I think we, we should hasten to add that, you know, as cultures change, the point of offense is going to be different. I mean, in some cultures in which there's a high moralistic basis, um, I think they're going to want us to preach a moralistic gospel. But when we say, look, none of us are righteous and that the gospel is justification by faith through the grace of God accomplished in the cross, that's going to be offensive. And then when we get to cultures in which there, there's no moralism at all, uh, the, you know, we'll, they'll be offended at a different point. But the the point is, the gospel message itself will always be the most offensive thing any culture will ever hear. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow for John's continuing message on why follow Jesus right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. In the month of June, Dr. Newfeld and a team from Back to the Bible Canada will be traveling to India to join the ministry team of Back to the Bible India to conduct two Bible teaching conferences in both Delhi and Hyderabad. These conferences will attract hundreds of pastors from these regions from multiple denominations in search of excellence in the instruction of expositional Bible teaching and to spend time in worship, fellowship, and offer encouragement amidst challenging and difficult circumstances of ministry. Perhaps this is a ministry venture you'd want to invest in. Your gift towards Back to the Bible Canada's international ministries would mean so much in support of this conference, the development and encouragement of pastors in these regions, and the airing of ongoing Bible teaching programs in Asia. To offer your support, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible 
www.cnn.ca.